Today's sponsor is EveryPlate. Initially, I thought meal kits had to be expensive, that they were kind of a splurge. But as it turns out, EveryPlate is more affordable than groceries. Their quality ingredients come pre-portioned to help you save money and reduce food waste, you know, like the bag of spinach that I throw out every single week. You can skip the store and let every plate plan, shop, and deliver everything you need to cook a delicious meal at a consistently low price. For me, in the summer, I'd rather be out enjoying the sunshine than cooking. Every plate helps me do just that. Simple, stress-free recipes come together in just six steps and are ready in about 30 minutes or less. You can choose between 17 recipes that change every week and swap proteins and sides to your liking, so you can switch up dinner routines however you want. Every plate helps me experience more of my favorite things in life by saving me time and money, which means more money towards vacations, concerts, the list goes on. You can choose from classic plate, veggie plate, family plate, and easy plate preferences to serve up crowd-pleasing meals night after night. Try every plate for just $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering the code SELFIE179. Again, that's $1.79 per meal at everyplate.com with the code SELFIE179. Today's episode is sponsored by Somavetic. Somavetic is a device that combines an Eastern approach to health and wellness with modern day technology. If you have a lot of devices in your home, as most of us do, then there are hundreds of signals floating through the air at any given moment. This is called EMF, and some people are really sensitive to it and believe that it can cause some not great things in the body as a result of all of these free radicals bouncing around. If you're concerned with the unwanted influences of electromagnetic radiation or geopathic zones, you'll appreciate Somavetic. Somavetic devices rely on frequency therapies and the healing powers of precious and semi-precious stones and metals to create a natural energy field to harmonize your home. It does this through the controlled release of energy from precious and semi-precious stones. It creates a 360-degree field with a radius of 100 feet in all directions. The founder of Somavetic launched these devices in 2011 as a response to his own ongoing health struggles. After years of no success with Western medicine, he turned to traditional Chinese medicine and found a variety of healing properties with stones and minerals. After some time, he was able to heal his body and has helped others as well, and his experience inspired him to create Somavetic. If you're interested in mitigating EMFs and creating a harmonic field in your environment, these devices are a great solution, and they are beautiful. Each device is comprised of their own semi-precious stones with unique properties. Somavetic is a small company, and all products are handmade and hand-assembled in their Crystal Valley, in the Crystal Valley of the Czech Republic. If you want to try Somavetic, they have a 60-day money-back guarantee to let you try. Visit somavetic.com and use the code SELFIE for 10% off. That's S-O-M-A-V-E-D-I-C.com with the code SELFIE for 10% off. Hey, everyone. I'm Kristen Howerton, a writer and a psychotherapist. And I'm Rue Powell, an admitted workaholic and self-care Luddite. And you are listening to Selfie, a weekly podcast about women learning to take better care of themselves. We think self-care is important, but it can simultaneously be elusive. We don't lack information about it, but we don't always quite get there. So this podcast is dedicated to exploring different aspects of self-care, from the silly to the serious. We're looking at health, relationships, beauty, periods, and maybe a touch of the random. We also want to look at the hurdles we face that keep us from caring for ourselves like we should. To submit questions to me or Rue, or to Claire, our beauty expert, or BJ, our resident therapist, join us in our private forum by searching Selfie Podcast Community on Facebook. Hey guys, well today we are going to be talking about sex. You have asked us to discuss this quite a bit. So we're excited to have a sex therapist, a specialist with us today, Dr. Emily Jamey. She's going to be touching on libido, on what to do when partners have different sexual appetites, on masturbation. We're going to talk about the brain sex connection and all kinds of other stuff. Um, We're also going to be hearing BJ answer a listener question about narcissists and dealing with emotionally manipulative people, which I know many of us have in our lives. This episode is brought to you by letsgetchecked.com. They are the leading provider of at-home health tests. A hormone imbalance can lead to all kinds of symptoms from feeling tired all the time to insomnia, breast tenderness, headaches, weight gain, changes in blood pressure. If you've wanted answers about your hormone levels or any other health issue, it's a great option. Their tests come straight to your door and you can self-collect your blood sample from the tip of your finger. This week, letsgetchecked.com wants to invite you to join their community with 30% off using the discount code SELFIE30. 
30. All right, Rue, how's it going over there? Good. How's your self-care this week? (laughs) Gosh, man. I mean, who would have ever thought, like, as we, you know, do this podcast about self-care, that we would be in the middle of a pandemic? I don't even know how to answer self-care questions anymore. I know. I know. It's just, like, the noise that you made reminds me of that emoji with a squiggly smile. Yes, right? um, That's just like, Yes. I don't know. (laughs) Yep. That's my baseline. I will say this on the self-care front. um, I have had success in finally learning how to meal plan. I've talked about how meal planning has just eluded me for years. I just, I am that person who I grocery shop and I buy like things, but I don't buy for recipes. And then every night I'm kind of scrambling of like, okay, I have this chicken and then I have these tortillas, but I forgot salsa, you know? So I have finally weirdly in the middle of a pandemic, learn to meal plan, which I think in part is because I don't have access to just run to the grocery store anymore. Like I have to be strategic. Um, And then I've also been really trying to get the kids to help with making meals because, you know, they don't have as much to do. (laughs) They don't have, you know, there's no activities or places to go. And so, You know, typically come five o'clock, I'm still frantically working and they're like, can I watch a show? And I'm like, how about you make dinner? (laughs) How about? Yeah, that's great. You got time to lean. You got time to clean. So I've been trying to get the kids more involved. And so the result of that is here's how my method has worked. Um, On Sundays, we all sit down. We have a little family meeting, which they hate, but whatever. And they are supposed to come to the family meeting with a recipe that they have found that they want to make for the family. And so I have a ton of cookbooks in my home, and some of the kids are more likely to choose something from a cookbook. But then I also, you know, some of the kids are on Pinterest, so they might find a recipe there. Mm -hmm. Um, So everyone comes to the meeting, and then they have to text me the ingredients of the meal that they are going to make. Oh, and that I make is so them smart. Text it because then I copy, I just, you know, copy and paste that whole text into a Google Keep. And then I have all the ingredients. And then I've been shopping online. So I order all of them online. And then I bought this like stand up clipboard where I will then put all of the recipes for the week. And so, and then on top of all the recipes, I put who's doing what on what night. So that's always in the kitchen. So everybody knows what's going on and their recipes are right there, easy to find. And it's actually been working. I love this. I'm yeah. going to steal this idea. Do it. Um, we was one night, the girls had, you know, um, HelloFresh was a sponsor at one point. Yeah. And uh, the girls did one of the meal kits and they did it from like from the beginning to end. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so great. And how can we do this day to day too? So I definitely want to do that. One thing that I've done is, which honestly, I only have been doing this because I had to do it when I was a kid, where it's just, all right, girls, make the salad and cook the rice, mm-hmm. which were like, they're not that Filipino. But growing up, I had rice at every meal. So it's, yeah. if nothing else, we have salad and rice. Oh, and then yeah. it's, you know, so we've been doing that. But I'd love for them to do um, a, a meal from like beginning to end and have them plan it. That is so smart. That is really smart. Um, and I, I was thinking maybe I could even like put my shift account on their phone so they can just add the ingredients to our shopping cart. That, that is might be a fun. really good idea. I don't use shipped, but I use Amazon Fresh. And so um, I have the dot, you know, in the kitchen. And so the kids can like, can say to the dot, like, add such and such to my shopping list, which has been nice. Oh, that is really nice. That is super smart. And I will tell you um, – I actually have thought about getting the meal, you know, more meal kit subscriptions like HelloFresh, Blue Apron, stuff like that, just because I do like the fact that it comes with all the ingredients and I find them very easy for kids to follow because they have all the pictures. Yes. But this week... I I do like that. Yeah, I do like that. So for people who are like, you know, dipping their toes in the water of getting their kids to cook, those meal plan kits are a really good idea. But this week we actually were using... um, it's called Eat to Explore, which have you seen those before? Those boxes? I haven't. So it's interesting because they don't come with the fresh food. They come with like little spice 
like little spice packets, but each of their boxes is from a different country. And so, and they're a monthly subscription. So like we were doing Greece this week, but those recipes are also very kid friendly and very, they're like made for kids to follow those recipes. That's really cool. Yeah. We have, we have like some limitations because uh, two of my girls have food allergies, but Mm -hmm. we were able to get, that's why sometimes with the meal kits, we're able to get around that because everything is prepackaged. So instead of using like cow milk, we'll just substitute our own almond milk or Mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, But that is really cool. You know, what's interesting is that this conversation just unlocked a really old memory for me Hmm. Um, and it involves you. The late, I don't know, 2008, 2009, uh-huh. do you remember putting up a blog post about making rice and beans? Oh, Like yes. for lunch? Totally. And I remember reading that. This was before we were friends. And I'm like, oh, this is a great way to make lunch. I feel like you were doing it every day for lunch. I was doing it every single day for lunch. My kids <laughs> ate rice and beans for lunch every day. Yes. Yes. And that, it, that, yes, that just unlocked a memory for me, which is really funny <laughs> because so I think funny. at the time... At the time, my girls were really teeny tiny, and your kids were small too. But yeah, it was they just were like young. rice and beans, and if and you'll find like even if you have kids over, just toss some cheese on it, and every kid will yep. eat it. And I was like, oh, this is really smart. Totally. Ah, oh, memories. That's really funny. That's really funny. Um, how's your self care going? You know, it's going okay this week. Um, just a lot. I I find that I'm getting busier. Which is, on one hand, good because I Mm -hmm. like being busy and I like working. But then it's still like a pandemic and my kids are still at home and we're still just kind of trying to sort all of that out, too. Yeah. So I have – I know this is strange, but you know how businesses use Slack? Yeah. Um, I've been using it for my own work, which has been really helpful. Like I just have a channel for each of the buckets. Like I have a, I have a podcast channel. So all the work that I want to do for um, podcasting will all just drop right in that channel. And if I have someone, you know, helping me or I'm working on a project with someone else, I just invite them to Slack and where it's really easy way to communicate. And then all the files stay there. And I find that it's been cleaning up my inbox too. So that little trick has been really helpful in just making me a bit more organized, especially when, you know, like you, you've got a lot of you've got a lot of plates in the air, right? Yeah. So like you're, you've got like stuff to think about with like your book and then, you know, just different, just different avenues that you're kind of pursuing. So this has made it a little bit more organized for me. So I can just kind of check Slack and go, okay, this is the last thing that I worked on with the podcast and here's what I needed to do this okay, week. Okay, that's so smart. Uh, that's yeah, really I really, smart. I really, I really like it. It's been, so it's been a, a little bit of a, um, a rough week, but I've been putting um, systems in place. And I yeah. think it was two weeks ago, I mentioned Laura Vanderkam's book, um, mm-hmm. The New Corner Office. And that has been really helpful in kind of keeping me organized and just like implementing tactics because I don't have the benefit of, um, you know, my kids being gone for seven hours a day. And I don't I don't mean that to sound mean, like the benefit, but I have seven hours of uninterrupted time. Um, I don't have it anymore. So I'm just trying to be a little bit more mindful. I have to kind of make those those moments count even more. So it's been a struggle. But this week, you know, I, I think I'm doing okay. I've put some systems in place, so I'm less frazzled. That's smart. I think, you know, if you can get the time to get systems in place, it really does make a huge difference. Yes, although I really miss and um, I really miss putting like that half an hour of puttering on my schedule every day. I, know. I do miss that. But the puttering. But I have a I even have like a puttering channel of just like random stuff that I find. Oh, I love like, that. oh, I wanna buy I wanna buy this plant or oh, look at this neat article. It's like internet puttering. Yes, <laughs> I love that. This episode is sponsored by Swanson Health, a great source for quality vitamins and supplements and eco-friendly home products and beauty items. Swanson Health carries over 20,000 wellness products at a great value, so you can pick up all your favorite health products plus discover new ones. If you want to try any of Swanson Health's great products for yourself, use code SELFIE20 for 20% off on swanson.com. How about your two thumbs up? What do you have for the week? Well, okay, so I have been, my lips have been so dry, and um, a company sent me a lip mask to try, which I was Ooh. like, I don't know about this. And then I tried it and I'm like, oh, I love this. Um, so the one I tried is from a company called Soon Skin Care, and they are strawberry lip masks with collagen. And they it's not a, it's not a mask like um, clay or anything. It's more like a, it's sheet like a little sheet mask. Uh. Yes. It, that's like in the shape of a lip. 
but it's <laughs> it feels a little bit like silicone, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But and and initially, I was like. I don't want to sit here and like have my mouth closed. But then I'm like, no, if I sit here while I'm working, like it doesn't matter at all. And so I'll just put it on while I'm working and I'll leave it on for like 30 minutes and it leaves my mouth feeling so nice. It's really that nice. Does, that sounds very nice, but also like just a little bit Silence of the Lambs. It looks very weird. It looks. <laughs> will very you take a picture? Yeah. Will you take a picture the next time you do it? Okay. Yes, okay. I will. I will. <laughs> and supposedly it diminishes those, you know, fine lines, which I am starting to get, which is so mortifying. You know, the ones that, like the smoker lines. Oh, like like on the outside of your mouth. Yes. Even though I've never smoked a day in my life, but you know, it's just, it's aging. It's aging. Um, oh, well. This is kind of uh, relevant. So my mom is super Filipino, and uh, you know this is this is not every Filipino mom, but I'm sure that any Filipino listening will go, oh yeah, that was my mom too. Just really concerned about how one looks. So she would tell me, "Don't smile so big, you'll get wrinkles." Oh my gosh! And so now her face is the same whether she's getting great news or terrible news. Like she does not. It's wow, like, oh, you're having so another funny. baby. Oh, that really awful thing happened. That's it. She has like zero wrinkles on her face. <laughs> zero. Like she doesn't have a little lines. Like she's, you know, she, or her she doesn't need like any Botox in her forehead. Like nothing. And I think it's just because she's lived a very expressionless life. <laughs> so. Well, or because she's Filipina. I mean. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. Asian don't raisin at all. Seriously. my We have neighbors. The family right across the street from me is Filipina. And I swear, like I've lived here for 20 years. And it's like, we've gotten old and they've stayed the same age. <laughs> I'm not kidding. The mother, there's a mother across the street who is my age. She has five kids. And she looks the exact same as the day I moved in here 20 years ago. (laughs) I don't understand. Um, Okay. My other two thumbs up is um, activewear. Activewear. Okay. So I struggle with like, you know, the compression pants because I feel like I can never find the balance between them being tight enough to stay up. Mm Mm-hmm without making me feel like I'm in like sausage casing or loose enough to be comfortable but then they start to roll down I hate the rolling the, the roll. rolling the roll is the worst because it's it, so like, mortifying. It, it, it accentuates oh yeah like the stomach roll and yes. so it just kind of like pops out over the top and you're like yes. ah wait I bought these so I look to like hide all that what are I you know. why, why have you betrayed me okay so there is a company who has heard our cry um <laughs> it's called love and fit activewear and their whole thing is for um well they have a line for postpartum women so they actually have like nursing and pumping sports bras which I think is really cool but their bottoms are made for you know women who you know maybe our midsection is a little fluffier than it used to be and so their whole their whole deal is their leggings that stay up they they're squat proof they do not fall down when you're running they're a little bit higher you know, like, which I think is kind of key. They're a little bit higher. Oh, um, but I love I'm, a high waist. I'm really liking them. Like, they're really made well. And they they pro- they, they do not under-deliver on the staying up. Oh, wait. And did you say they have pockets, too? They have pockets. Oh, that's clutch. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I do, like, especially when I'm working out, I find that, you know, you do a squat and if they start to roll. Yeah. It's just so uncomfortable. You know what it is? It's almost like when you buy the cheaper version of Spanx. Yes. Yes. And then it just it just continuously rolls and then it looks worse because then you have like your stomach and then like a roll of fabric underneath it oh, just it's accentuating so bad. everything. So bad. That's cool. I'll have to check those out. Yeah, I like them a lot. How about you? Um, okay, so the first one I have is a spa headband, which Ooh. it really is just, you know, like those little, like I saw them, okay, I found it on TikTok, but you know those <laughs> headbands? <laughs> They have, they've got like really cute kid friendly ones with like bows, but I, because I don't want to embarrass myself too much. It's just like a regular, like it comes in terry cloth and essentially it has like a little Velcro and it just kind of protects your hair as you're doing your nighttime routine, your face routine. And I have found that it helps me remember to do it. Like it just makes it a little nicer. Like, oh yes, it's time to put on my little headband and then wash my face. Yes, like I've shifted into this mode. 
Right. Because otherwise, like, I'll keep falling asleep on the couch with a full face of makeup. <laughs> totally. And it's terrible for your skin. And I still like leftover sunscreen and I wake yep. up with like the raccoon eyes from the mascara. So I really like this. It's like three in a pack. And I ended up having to buy two because my kids started stealing them. But they're they're cute. They're really inexpensive. I think they're like eight dollars for three. And it makes my nighttime routine uh, much nicer. Nice. And then the other one is, um, I actually, I think this is really sweet. So there are tons of mindfulness books and there are tons of apps for meditation, but I found these mindfulness cards and they're just called, you know, mindfulness cards, uh, simple practices for everyday life. And you pull a card out of the deck and it's really pretty and it has like one short phrase on one side and then you uh, you flip it over and there's like this kind of reflection on the back that you can read, um, which I just think is really nice. And it helps me because there are moments in the day where I feel like I really need to get grounded. And we've talked about um, you and I have talked about our PTSD diagnoses. Yeah. And this is one thing that I've been talking about with my therapist is just trying to get as present and as grounded as possible as many moments of the day as possible. Yeah. So these cards have actually been a really nice kind of like moment in my day where I have to be deliberate about being mindful. I love that. Does that make sense? Yes. And I like the idea of a card. Like that feels doable. Yeah. And it's tangible. It's in my hand. I don't feel the pressure of like a book and a journal Mm -hmm. or, you know, listening to something necessarily. Um, And I like that it's analog. Yeah. Um, Yes. And they have, there's one, and it's not the same company, but I found this for teens, which I got for my eldest. It's the Be Be Mindful card deck for teens. And so it's like a nice way to introduce mindfulness to to teens or, or, or tweens too, which I think is really helpful, especially especially right now, frankly. Oh my gosh, I love that. We actually have a deck that my teens like, and it's called Spiritual AF, <laughs> which I think is just <laughs> such a funny name. Um, yes. It's kind of like that too. It's just like little kind of spiritual, like one little card at a time. I feel I like those little bite size, like you said, analog, non-digital, easy you know, mm-hmm. easy to digest mindfulness moments. And I know India is on TikTok and there's a lot of like mindfulness TikToks too. Oh, really? Which, yeah. And it's really like, and it is, uh, there's, there's witch talk, which is like, a bit of a bit, like witchy TikTok, which is essentially just like, <laughs> like, you know, people like teens with like crystals, right? Like it's wow. super cute. But there's this, there's these uh, mindfulness TikToks as well that I really appreciate. So that's, uh, I know some people are still sleeping on TikTok or at least making fun of me for talking about it so much. But I'll have you know, I went, <laughs> I went viral last month. And yeah, my you TikTok did. game is, <laughs> And it was the one about, is, um, you were talking about like, people being gaslit for being abused right that that's right yeah Yeah. and so now which is maybe the most unfun topic is that i warn tweens and teens on tiktok about grooming and the signs of it someone needs to someone needs to i'm glad you're doing it but i'm also doing it while i'm dancing because that's better for the algorithm (laughs) do you know whatever it takes You know what? I need to send some of you some of these so like India can tell me how cringy they are. You well, know what I'll I mean? Like I need India a teenager. You if she's not already, I'll make sure yeah, she's following please you. Please do, and then just say like she could just if you could just have her text me like a thumbs up or a thumbs okay. down, then I know. Okay, then I know. We'll ask so, her advice. Well, she's she was explaining all of this TikTok stuff to me, and she's like, "Mom, there's like straight TikTok, which doesn't mean yes. straight people." It, she's like there's straight tiktok which is like people doing dances and like everyone doing the same thing and then she's like then there's elite tiktok have you heard of this oh well so i'm very much on and you would love like therapy tiktok is great yeah i'm also very much on doctor tiktok um okay. and i end up on gardening tiktok and then because of my kids like harry potter and star wars tiktok they're very like there's construct women in construction TikTok. Oh, yeah. It is such – it's just such – it's so interesting. And I am, frankly, shocked that you're not on it and enjoying it because oh, it's such a nice – No, I totally – I am I mean, I'm a consumer. I'm not making videos, but right, I, right. I definitely am watching TikTok a lot. And there's there's political TikTok, too. Oh, yes. And, and um, yes, straight TikTok is more like – and maybe India can explain this better. But it's more like it, – it, that feels a little bit like thirst trap TikTok. Does that make sense? Yes. This is how she explained it. Straight TikTok is <laughs> – 
Now I feel mean, but hopefully none of her friends are listening to my to my adult <laughs> podcast. I imagine they're not. Yeah, but she's her explanation is straight TikTok is just like basic bitch TikTok. She's like it's yeah. girls in their cute clothes doing dances, and they're mm-hmm. re repurposing material that's already on there. It's just like they're lip syncing and they're doing dances where she says elite TikTok is people creating their own stuff. It's them being creative and um, it's, you know, more thoughtful. Usually it's like thought provoking or interesting. So that that's her. Yeah, I, that's my 13 year old explanation. Yeah, that, that, that tracks. There's also, which I have been liking lately, uh, I think India might like too, is Black alt girl, alternative girl TikTok. Oh, how funny. Um, and it's like a lot of them like uh, roller skating and yes. it's just super cute. Yeah, there's just there's just there are so many fun niche communities on there that yeah. I have to limit myself and how much time I spend on it. Does that totally. make sense? So funny. <laughs> We talked a lot about skincare on the show and specifically tretinoin. If you're not familiar, it's a retinoid, which is an active vitamin A derivative that's used to improve the texture, tone, and appearance of the skin. Today's sponsor, Dear Brightly, has a product called Night Shift, and tretinoin is the active ingredient in Night Shift. This is the only FDA-approved retinoid for treating photoaging, which is premature skin aging due to long-term sun exposure. Tretinoin stimulates collagen production to prevent and treat signs of premature skin aging from years of sun damage, things like fine lines and wrinkles, dark spots, uneven skin tone, and big pores. Tretinoin can only be acquired through a prescription, but it's 20 times more potent than the -the over-the-counter retinol products. It's one of the most well-researched ingredients with over 50 years of research behind it for both acne and photoaging. I had a chance to try Night Shift and I'm really liking it. I have the unfortunate experience of having both breakouts and wrinkles at the same time, and it's great for both. I have seen my fine lines decreasing. I've seen my skin tone looking better, and it feels really nice. If you've used an over-the-counter retinol before, you know it's really great, but a dermatology-grade retinoid is even better. Night Shift is their dermatologist-formulated serum that's tailored to your skin by doctors online. Dear Brightly works by you first of all starting by sharing your skin story with them, then a doctor evaluates your skin and your skin history. They then tailor your formula and write a prescription, if applicable, and your tailored serum will be delivered to you in the mail. It's super simple and easy. Head to www.dearbrightly.com and enter the promo code SELFIE to get 15% off your first order, which is their very best offer anywhere. That's S-E-L-F-I-E to get 15% off your first order at dearbrightly.com. So when I was a teen learning to shave my legs, my mom did not do me any favors by buying me really cheap disposable razors. If you grew up in as a teen in the 90s, you know the ones, and they left nicks and cuts all over me when I was trying to shave. So with two girls learning how to shave their legs right now, I am committed to making sure that they have good quality razors. Guys, I was probably well into my 30s before I realized the difference a quality razor makes. Today's sponsor is Athena Club. They have great razor kits that we have been using in our house for a couple months. The razor blades are awesome. They are surrounded by this water-activated serum that has shea butter and hyaluronic acid, so you get a silky smooth shave that actually leaves your skin soft and hydrated as opposed to stripped dry. And their blades are spaced out to let hair and shave cream pass through easily so you don't have to make a ton of passes going over and over the skin to remove the hair. Fewer passes means less irritation to your skin, which cuts down on razor burn and ingrown hairs. The razor kit is only $9 with free shipping and it comes with two blade cartridges, a cute little magnetic hook for your shower storage, and your choice of a handle color. I personally chose the coral, but what I really like about it is they have a ton of different colors, black, white pastel neon. So if you have a big family like mine, everyone can have the razor in their own color so you don't get them confused. What I also love about Athena Club, you guys know I love automating things. You never have to worry about dull blades because they send refills on your schedule. You just choose how often you want them and they will send them automatically with free shipping. I would also highly recommend their cloud shave foam too. It's insanely thick and stays on while you shave so you don't have to reapply. It leaves your skin feeling very moisturized. It's 
really, really good. If you want to try a great quality razor that cuts down on the wastefulness of disposable razors, try Athena Club Razor Kit. You can get 20% off your first order at athenaclub.com with the promo code SELFIE. That's A-T-H-E-N-A-C-L-U-B.com with the promo code SELFIE for 20% off. to be chatting with Dr. Emily Jamia. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and she also has a PhD in sexology, which um, talk to me about what a PhD in sexology even means. That that sounds very, <laughs> very interesting. <laughs> yes, interesting and official, right? Yes. Um, so yes, a PhD in sexology just means I've gone on to receive advanced training in the field of sexology, which of course encompasses all kinds of things related to sex. Um, you know, everything from sexual dysfunction to compulsivity to polyamory Mm -hmm. to, you know, you name it, um, LGBT issues. So it just means that I have advanced training in that. Um, I would say my primary focus, though, in my clinical work and research and writing is in, you know, just uh, couples who experience different kinds of sexual issues. Well, our listeners were quite excited about today's episode. Um, And one of the questions that I think a lot of our listeners have about their sex life, well, there are a couple, but one of them is, how do I know if I'm having enough sex? What's enough? And then following up with that is what to do when partners have a different sexual appetite, when one partner wants to have more sex and another is struggling to keep up. Absolutely. So quality is so much more important than quantity. And I just cannot emphasize that enough. You know, when you look at couples and you assess their levels of sexual satisfaction, frequency comes into play a little bit, but not near as much as how good the sex is. Mm -hmm. And it's so important, I think, for couples to focus on having really good quality sex, because if the quality isn't there, you're not going to want to do it. So I work with couples, um, you know, a lot of times they'll come in complaining of this discrepancy and desire, which we'll talk about in a moment. Um, But before we work on narrowing the gap and how frequently they want to have it, I talk to them, well, what's happening when you do have it? Mm. Um, What what could we change to make it, you know, perhaps more desirable for you? Is the sex even worth wanting? (laughs) Um, And a, a lot comes out during that question, as I'm sure you can imagine. So, um, so the quality is super important. And then, you know, it is so common to enter into a relationship where you have a little bit of a higher desire and a lower desire partner. Um, rarely do we end up with someone with whom we match a hundred percent in terms of the frequency with which we desire sex. And so what I work with couples on is if they feel the gap has gotten significantly wider with time, which isn't that uncommon, we, I help them kind of figure out how they can manage the gap, narrow it in a way that it feels more manageable. Um, And I think that a lot of couples are guilty of blaming the lower desire partner. When, when we really look at what, um, what characteristics are there and the higher desire partner, what they could, or, you know, maybe are doing to, to decrease desire in the other partner, then there's a lot that we can work with there to help narrow that gap to make the difference um, less intense, if, if you will. Yeah. You know, I have found that it seems like, and this is of course not true for everyone, but it seems like a lot of women and particularly women who are parenting, especially Mm -hmm. um, parenting younger kids can find that they really struggle with desire where maybe they had a a very satisfactory sex life. And then just the pressures and demands of mothering and, you know, everything that goes with that, they have a real sharp decline and just don't feel connected to their sexuality anymore, really at all. What advice would you have for women in that situation? So the first thing is, I like to remind people that, you know, over the course of a long term monogamous relationship, Desire is going to ebb and flow Mm -hmm. with time. So it is very common, you know, as you're pregnant and when you have a newborn baby and when the kids are really little and very demanding of your attention and your physical touch that, 
you know, you may just be really tapped out at the end of the day. There's so much we have to put into, um, you know, parenting that I think just really depletes our resources. A lot of women, especially if they're like still breastfeeding, will feel just completely touched out at the end of the day. Like they, you know, they're kind of, not that they're getting the same need met from the kid, but it's like they've they've been holding the kid, they've been nursing the kid, they've been attending to the mm-hmm. kid. And so, they don't want to be touched know, by anyone else. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so that's super common. Um, you know, but I think this is where, you know, if we're assuming there's, you know, if it's like a heterosexual relationship where male partners need to also make adjustments in everything that they are contributing to the relationship and to parenting. I think what a lot of male partners especially don't realize is just the mental toll that parenting tends to take on mothers. You know, typically women are the ones thinking about, did I register for ballet classes? Have I signed my kids up for summer camp? You know, there's like this constant never-ending mental to-do list. And um, I think that what a lot of male partners don't realize is that if they stepped up and did a little bit more around the house, if they, you know, cooked more of the meals, if they, you know, offered to run the child back and forth to practices or whatever, that if they can give their female partners a little bit more time to relax and unwind and practice self-care, that their desire will go up. And so, you know, this is all about learning to adapt in your relationship, which is a big part of kind of this model I've created for sustaining desire and eroticism in long-term relationships is learning to adapt, knowing how to be flexible as the demands of life change, as our circumstances evolve, as our needs, you know, um, evolve as well. And so couples need to work on learning to communicate um, and express their needs to their partner so that you know, they can come up with solutions together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, it's it's a bit of a joke or a trope to say like, you know, I find a guy who does dishes sexy or, you know, changing yeah. a diaper is foreplay for me. But I think there really is something to taking some of that load off of women. And as you said, allowing them to have a little bit more self-care and a little more um, time without contact with other, you know, with with the children and that that really can improve um, your sex life. Right. And it's so, it's so important to understand the differences in the way sexual desire manifests. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people are guilty of thinking about it um, in the way that a, the majority of men experience it, mm-hmm. which is this kind of spontaneous feeling of sexual desire. Like, mm-hmm. I feel horny, I want to have sex, yeah. right? Um, the way the majority of women experience sexual desire is more responsive. A couple of things typically have to happen before women even have the desire to have sex. One of those is feeling emotionally attended to by their partner. So right. feeling like their partner is tuned into their needs, mm-hmm. is helping out, whether that's them coming home and saying, you know, honey, put your feet up. Let me give the kids a bath and pour you a glass of wine. You know, that makes a woman feel loved and cared for. And then the other component usually is a little bit of arousal. So a lot of women and men are kind of waiting for this spontaneous feeling of sexual desire to Mm -hmm. show up when we know now that for women in particular, it doesn't always work that way. And so um, I think the more we know and and learn how to work with the differences in male and female sexuality, um, the easier it will be to manage that gap when it arises. And then, you know, once that emotional attentiveness and a little bit of arousal might happen, if that leads to sex, and again, if the sex is good quality, then the spontaneous desire is more likely to show up. Right. But without everything else, um, you know, it's, if you can't just wait around for it, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, I heard an an analogy once that men are like, you know, um, Men are analog and you you just push a button and they're on and women are more like right. computers where they have to be warmed up and like, Right, right. Or like the old one, like men are like a microwave, women are like an oven. Ah. There's some truth to that, you know. So it, it so, is. I mean it is very yes. true. And and I think yeah. it's um I think you're right that a lot of men and women are not keeping that truth top of mind that like things, you know, the burner needs to be kept on, so to right. speak. 
Yeah. Right. And I just think, you know, a lot of people aren't educated about it. I mean, mm-hmm. there really isn't great models, you know, in TV or the Hollywood for how sex sexuality is actually experienced, you know, if, especially yeah. if you're watching like a romance, everything seems to happen so automatically and yes. naturally and spontaneously. And, yeah. you know, or I feel like it's on the other side of the spectrum where it's the stereotypical nagging husband to a wife who never wants to have sex and yeah you know I think there are very few couples who hang out in either extreme the most are in the middle and just Mm -hmm. lack a lot of the tools and resources to know how to manage their needs well you know you're so right what we do see in the media is you know new relationships that are hot and heavy and another thing we don't see a lot of is long-term relationships that are hot and heavy so right. you know for for those who've been married 10 15 20 years how do we keep our sex lives you know erotic and yeah. interesting Sure. So it's totally possible. That's the good news. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, I think you're right that the narrative is kind of that sex gets stale with time. Mm -hmm. And there's this really exciting area of research, um, of sex research, that's looking at what components contribute to couples who have more optimal sexual experiences over time. And um, some of the people who really pioneered this research early on didn't even bother talking to couples who had been together for less than like 20 years. (laughs) because (laughs) They knew, you know, just from, you know, uh, their findings so far that typically sex was getting better with age for a lot of couples. And so Mm. what they wanted to find out is what, what secrets that these couples have and how can we um, teach that to um, other people so that they can maintain eroticism as well. And so I've kind of done a spinoff and created my own model for this. Um, I think that there's five core components that if everybody Mm. taps into can really help set you up to sustain eroticism in the long run. So the five that I identify are sensuality, curiosity, adaptability, which we touched on a little bit already, vulnerability, and attunement. And I can briefly describe each of these, but I think what's interesting about this and what I've found in my own research is that the more in touch we are with each of these qualities within ourselves, like on an individual level, the more easily we can implement them in our relationships, and then the more seamlessly they spill over into our sex lives. And so I think that gives the individual a lot of power in making changes. I think a lot of people jump too quickly into, okay, what can I do sexually to make things better. I think the more in touch we are with these qualities on an individual level, the more easily we can implement them in our relationships and then they you know seamlessly spill over into our sex lives. And I think that that concept is very empowering for people. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I like to remind uh, people when I'm teaching them this model is that I think that we are born with the propensity to um, adopt these qualities naturally. I mean, if you look at most kids, babies are exploring the world through the five senses. They are mm-hmm. naturally curious. They are certainly not afraid to show their feelings. They, you know, adapt to circumstances pretty easily and they're very attuned emotionally. But, you know, as we grow up, the influence of culture or our family of origin or, mm-hmm. you know, negative relationship experiences can disconnect us from these qualities. So it's not necessarily a matter of creating something that's not there. It's about reconnecting with something that already exists, which mm. I think is easier for a lot yeah. of people to um, to do. So, you know, I work with couples on um, learning how to reconnect with each of these five qualities. And, and when they do, they tend to report much higher levels of satisfaction. Yeah, I mean, it it makes sense. What about, you know, I I feel like that there is a trend right now of, you know, long term married couples saying, well, let's add some spice by, you know, becoming poly or let's add some spice by, you know, bringing a new person in any thoughts about that? Sure. So nothing wrong with any of that. I think that couples who, first of all, you have to have like, 
stellar communication skills and be extremely secure with yourself and in your relationship before opening things up because you know that has the potential to be a wonderful thing for some couples but it also has the potential to be disastrous so I think it's easy to say oh if we just open up our marriage that will solve all of our problems and um, that really turns out not to be the case for a lot of people because suddenly it's not just the two of you who are having to communicate and negotiate now you've got you know, two Mm -hmm. or three other people who you're having to balance everything with. And it can get pretty complicated unless you're, you've, you know, really um, extremely skilled in that area. Um, But what we're finding through this research is that that's not necessary to, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. to keep the spice alive in the long run. I think that what couples are, what couples are capable of doing is learning how to bring a sense of novelty into their eroticism without actually doing anything new. So let me just give you an example, you know, simply by having a new experience together or Mm -hmm. traveling together, or, you know, just the meaning that is created in a relationship after, you know, something like having children or um, any kind of shared experience that can bring a renewed energy into your sex life and I think that we because so many of us disconnect from the emotions um, that are involved sexually we don't Mm -hmm. we're not as tapped into that perhaps Mm -hmm. as we could be Mm -hmm. Um, and so I train people on how to not just tap into their feelings but learn how to express those sexually so that it it feels new it feels reinvigorated um, because it's more meaningful um, you know, I think that the deeper level of intimacy couples have, mm-hmm. um, again, the more intense that can feel. There's, you know, of course, the intensity you feel in the honeymoon phase of the relationship, but that wears off eventually. And yeah. what as the intensity transitions into intimacy, suddenly it doesn't happen as automatically, right? I mean, that's why they call it falling in love in the beginning. It's a very yeah. passive process, but eventually you reach a point that love becomes an active verb. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. you have to learn how to cultivate it, how to keep it alive. Um, And that can add a lot to your sexual experiences. So it's not necessarily about bringing new people in or opening up the marriage or trying, you know, wild and kinky sex toys. Again, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's the more subtle energies that you can tap into that can create really intense sexual experiences um, that stand the test of time. Yeah, I and I think that is so important for for people to talk about because I think, you know, and I don't know if this is a byproduct of porn culture or, mm-hmm. you know, what, but it does feel like when a couple feels like things are getting stale, the first the first impulse is to go external, whether that be, you know, a different partner or, um, okay, let's, let's, you know, read some books on kink or let's, you know, like to go external, let's find a a thing we have to add in. And it's Mm -hmm. not, it's not as, (laughs) it's not as obvious to think like, can we build our intimacy as a couple and then it would outflow into our sex life. Precisely. Exactly. It's about learning how to look within and Mm -hmm. cultivate that within your relationship because so many of the tools are there. We just don't know how to use them. Um, And so that's what I'm trying to work with couples on. You know, can couples reach almost a state of flow during Mm -hmm. sex? So that's Mm -hmm. like the latest research that I'm doing, which is so fun. So you you hear of a flow state described by like surfers who are kind of one with the wave or, um, you know, musicians who just like, you know, in a set, maybe they're on this like rocking out on a drum solo or whatever. They kind of get into that heightened, altered state of consciousness. And so we're looking at whether or not people can experience that sexually and finding Mm. out that oftentimes they can. But a surfer or a musician is not going to reach that state the first time they hop up on a surfboard or pull out an instrument. I mean, it just doesn't happen like that. It happens usually 
when there's been a great deal of practice and patience mm-hmm. and getting to know and understanding and learning to focus and having complete concentration and learning how to be fully absorbed and embodied in the experience. Yeah. Um, but we don't think about how to do that sexually and we're, we're totally capable of it, but it's, it's a team effort. Yeah. Um, you know, you need a, a partner who's willing to work with you on it, but yeah, that doesn't, that state doesn't happen usually the first time you do something. So that's kind of the difference that I'm talking about in this novelty and the way that a lot of people think about it mm-hmm. versus the intensity mm-hmm. that can come yeah. with shared intimacy and experience and, um, everything else that comes with a long-term relationship. It strikes me as we're having this conversation, you know, we've been having a self-care conversation on this podcast for, you know, over a year. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of, I think one of the traps of even self-care is that rather than looking at what inner work do I need to do on self-care, it's like, well, let me go get a massage. Let me go get a manicure. Yeah. Let me let me yeah. add something. Let me fill up my day even more. Right. Where yeah. it's like really self-care often looks like looking inward and, and doing some mindfulness or, you know, doing mm-hmm. cultivating the self. And I, I feel like there's some real parallels to sexuality and partnership here in that rather than looking to the external, it's really like what what mindfulness, what, you know, intimacy, what connection needs to be you know, worked on inwardly in the relationship. Right, right. And I try to get couples to reframe rather than having to like do all these things to get you relaxed enough to have sex. Mm -hmm. Like how can we use sex to help us feel relaxed? I mean, why why do we have to like meditate for 30 minutes and go to yoga and make sure we get a run in and make sure we've taken a bath and make Mm -hmm. sure, you know, there's like all these boxes that people think, they have to check in order to feel relaxed enough to have sex. And, and not to say, of course, that really high anxiety doesn't negatively affect sex. It does. But if sex is this like sacred erotic space that feels like an Mm -hmm. oasis to you where you can tap into parts of your psyche that, you know, are otherwise kind of dimmed, it can be a wonderful way to energize or, relax or connect, um, you know, especially given how busy our lives are these days. But I don't think a lot of people see it that way. It just starts to feel like another thing they have to do as a place, as opposed to something that, you know, that they want to experience, right? And that's part of the reason I think people have low desire. I think you're so right. And I, I mean, it feels like this is more of an issue for women than men. I mean, I feel like, you know, and again, this is a gross generalization, but I feel like Mm -hmm. men are more apt to look at sex as a way to relax, a way to release. Mm -hmm. And it feels like women almost have a hard time seeing it that way. It feels like an obligation as opposed to a value add in their arsenal of, you know, self-care or ways of relaxing. Exactly. It's so true. And I think... That's due in large part to gender socialization yeah. and just our the way our society and culture views sex, that it's, you know, for a man, about pleasing a man, about, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, of course, women, for a lot of women, there's a little bit more risks when it comes to sex, like in terms, like unwanted pregnancies, you know, there's, there are some differences there, but I think once you you know, have the information and the capacity to move past that, you know, you can think about what can sex do for me? What can yes. I get out of sex? Yes. And there's like, it's, it's such a renewable resource. It's mm-hmm. not just like yeah, commodity that's going <laughs> to run out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's so much to, to be shared in that. Um, and so you want to start thinking about, yeah, what, what can sex do for me? And talk yes. to your partner about that because yeah. If you're not able to have those conversations, you know, like vulnerability is a big piece of my model. If you can't, if you are having sex and being touched without feeling felt, or mm-hmm. if you're being looked at without really being seen, it's mm-hmm. going to feel like it falls flat. And so you need to learn how to um, cultivate those skills within your relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. what about, um, you know, women are always, our listeners are always wanting us to talk about masturbation, <laughs> you know, yeah. and that is one of those like, 
self-care, um, you know, jokingly, like the ultimate in self-care. Um, totally. Any words of wisdom on that topic? Do it. Enjoy it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think it's so – you can't expect to, you know, feel completely comfortable sharing your body with another person unless you're comfortable exploring it yourself. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't expect to – for your partner to know exactly what makes you tick and how you like to be touched if you don't know that on your own. I think we – you know, expect our partners to be mind readers when it comes uh-huh. to our sexuality. Uh-huh. But the fact is, um, you know, sexuality is, is complex um, for both men and women. And what felt good yesterday might not necessarily feel good tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And so, again, it's that, um, you know, being willing to adapt and make change to maintain kind of a curious and open mind when it comes to our sexuality is so important. And, and so masturbation for women, I think, is a really healthy part of that. Yeah. And what Definitely. about, what about women who think like, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm married. And so I don't think I should masturbate or, you know, is this taking away mm-hmm. from our sexual relationship? Yeah. So no, I mean, unless, so the only time I would say that it maybe becomes problematic is if, you know, your partner is wanting to have more sex, but you're, you're not wanting to and choosing to masturbate instead. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of, you know, there's something going on that is making mm-hmm. you feel like you don't want to enjoy partner sex as well. But yeah. if you feel like everyone's needs are being met for the most part during partnered sex, then it's your own sexuality too. It's not all about shared sexuality. I mean, I think that the more we tap into our individual sexuality, whether that's just savoring the sensations or spending some time, you know, getting lost in an exciting fantasy, that energy transfers over into our partner's mm-hmm. sexual interactions. So that's yeah. a wonderful way to kind of turn yourself on and, you know, keep the proverbial wheel greased so that <laughs> it's easier to, right. you know, slip to get into, into that mode, to get into it when you're mm-hmm. with your partner. Yeah. It's you know, it's like fantasies. I always tell people they're wonderful because they're always accessible. The possibilities are endless. They're totally free and they're completely safe. And so (laughs) I think it's a great way, you know, on that point, I think that we don't always use our brain's full capacity when it comes to sex. Like we reduce it down to just a function of the body, Hmm. but no other animal can really use mental imagery or create ideas or fantasize the way that humans can. But for some reason, when it comes to sex, a lot of people think, Oh, I shouldn't be having that thought or there's something wrong with me because I'm having that thought or that fantasy. And the fact is unless the fantasy is truly unwanted for some reason, there is so much potential we can tap into if we just turn our brains on a little bit. And um, that can really intensify our partnered experiences as well. Yeah. What advice do you have for couples who are dealing with, you know, like a real sexual dysfunction, like premature ejaculation or Mm -hmm. erectile dysfunction or a woman who's really, you know, having a difficulty having an orgasm? Like where should couples be turning to help with some of those bigger issues? Yeah. So, I mean, sex therapists are wonderful in helping couples navigate those issues. Um, I think the most important thing to keep in mind is... First of all, you can't expect your body to work at 100% every single time. Mm-hmm. It's just there are mm-hmm. too many things in our environment that can influence the way our body functions. And so you want to give yourself a little bit of grace and especially, you know, um, compassion to your partner if for some reason things don't happen uh, the way you expect them to, or sure. don't go according to plan. Yeah. Most of the time when I ask people, you know, what was the worst part about that experience? If they're coming in with a sexual dysfunction, they 99% of the time will say the look on my partner's face mm. or the way my partner reacted. And so many people are guilty of like taking a sexual, I don't even like the word dysfunction. I have to tell you too. I prefer the word difficulty because dysfunction is just so pathologizing. It is, isn't it? You know, I mean like most men at some point in their lives are not going to be able to get an erection due to just fatigue or that is a normative phenomenon. Yeah. Or they may come more quickly than they want to, you know, the female orgasm isn't as consistent as the male orgasm for the majority Mm -hmm. of women. And so 
All of that. There's so much more normal, I think, than abnormal when it comes to what happens sexually. But again, that's not what we're taught and it's not what we see on TV. (laughs) And so we don't know how to react when it happens to us or when it happens to our partner. And so what I was going to say before is people will somehow turn it around and make it about them. Well, do you not desire me? Do you not find me attractive? Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. like actually makes the problem so much worse. Yes, it does. Mm -hmm. So, um, so my first line of defense is usually to learn how to respond compassionately mm-hmm. and not let it stop you from continuing to enjoy the sexual experience. Yeah. There are like so many different things you can do that don't require an erection or penetration or you know, sex does not end with the male orgasm. Yes. So whatever you come a little more quickly than you hope to. I mean, why does it have to end there? Yeah. You know, there's mm-hmm. still a lot that can happen. Um, you know, and that comes back, I think, to the adaptability piece of my model, like learning how to be flexible. Um, cause that's, that's actually one thing that will make sex get stale over the long run is if you continue to do, if you have like a script that you stick Mm, to and you mm -hmm. do things the exact same way every single time. Um, The more willing you are to be flexible and sort of roll with the punches as things happen, um, A, the the higher your level of satisfaction will be and B, the less likely it will continue to be a problem. Uh, But if it does continue to be a problem, then there is help available. And, you know, a lot of people's first stop is their position. And it's always good to rule out whether or not there's a medical issue or health issue contributing. Um, but you know, the largest sex organ is the brain Mm. and, you know, Mm -hmm. so there's usually a psychological or relationship component that's contribute or, you know, environmental component that's contributing. So, um, what we do as sex therapists is, uh, kind of like we put our detective hat on and really, look at, you know, the individual, the relationship, and then the environment and context and see what may be contributing to the dysfunction there. Yeah, yeah. And then treat that, you know, a lot of times it's a symptom of another problem. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much. This has been an incredibly helpful conversation. Where can people find you online? Sure. So um, probably the best thing is to follow me on Instagram Mm -hmm. at Dr. Emily Jamia. Or visit my website, which is uh, com. And on my Instagram, I offer three weekly tips, one for you, one for your relationship, and one for your sex life. Because you'll hear me say a million times, you can't necessarily separate one from the other. Yes. So. That's good. All right. And we will link all of that up in our show notes of the episode as well. Thank you so much. Great. Thanks so much for having me, Kristen. I'm BJ, an emotional wellness coach. In my private practice, we address trauma, attachment wounds, and the roles they play in how we show up in our lives every day. I've found my self-care has a profound impact on my mental well-being, so I'm here to invite you into the journey of emotional self-care. And today, two of our listeners have asked me to address issues that are kind of similar in regard to being in relationship with very difficult people, specifically co-parenting with a narcissist and managing people who are emotionally manipulative. I want to start by clearing up a couple of common misconceptions. Let's start with narcissism. True narcissism is a mental health diagnosis called Narcissistic Personality Disorder, or NPD. There are nine very specific criteria an individual must meet to receive that diagnosis, and fewer than 8% of the population meet that criteria. So why is it we feel like we're surrounded by narcissists all the time? Narcissism is actually a form of low self-worth developed in early childhood, where one child might respond to trauma by shrinking and allowing others to control them, another child responds by puffing up and learning to control others. Let me share an example of one way a kid can become a narcissist. Narcissists and codependents are magnetically attracted to each other. The primary cause of codependence is when a child has a narcissistic parent and shapes themselves into someone the narcissist can love. So let's say a codependent woman marries a 
a narcissist like her father, and they have a son. At some point, the parents divorce. The child has likely already developed a codependent relationship with the father, but he has also learned by watching his dad that he can pretty much get anything he wants from his mom by manipulating her. In addition, mom now needs someone to take care of, so she spousifies the son. Suddenly, she's letting a 10-year-old kid influence decisions in the household. He may even have siblings he's given authority over. He was not a bad kid. He's not born with bad traits passed on genetically by his father. He is simply trying to survive the circumstances of his childhood. His mom enabled the narcissistic behavior for her own benefit without even realizing, so this kid may not even become a pathological narcissist, but he would definitely enter adulthood engaging a lot of narcissistic traits. He'd also likely end up marrying someone just like his mom. Often, NPD and sociopathy will be co-occurring. When you meet a narcissist with sociopathic traits, they can be quite sophisticated. They're charming, funny, entertaining. They're attractive and cunning. They can carry on the ruse for many, many years without being revealed as a narcissist. Someone who's just acting out their trauma with narcissistic traits often burns through relationships pretty quickly, even with a codependent, because they can only control their behavior for so long. So what do you do when you're having to co-parent with a narcissist? There is not an easy answer to this. I'm going to give you the one that most people agree upon, and that is choose your battles. Here's the biggest problem we have with narcissists. Everything is a competition. They must win everything. They will win at any cost. They have to be right. They have to have the last word. The worst thing you can possibly do is enter into the competition with them. They love the fight and they won't back down. So I hate to say it, but if this is your situation, you're officially a single parent. You have to parent your kids the way you want to parent them when they're with you. And you have to learn to let go of what happens when they're with their dad. You have to be able to put boundaries in place as best you can. And if your children are being placed in harm, those boundaries are going to be pretty separative. It's just going to be exasperating and exhausting. Don't disparage their dad to them, but don't deny their reality when they begin to figure it out for themselves. Kids need their feelings validated, and they will lose trust in you so quickly if you play in the middle of the street on this once that occurs with a narcissistic parent. In response to the other question about emotionally manipulative people, it's important to recognize this is a trait from childhood they never outgrew, probably because their parents wasn't emotionally available enough to teach them that skill. Anytime an adult acts out through a childhood coping method, it gives us a window into their emotional wellness, or lack thereof. It sometimes helps to be able to see them as a child. When we can see them through the lens of compassion, when we imagine them trying to figure this out when they were small, we can often understand them better. And from there, we can better determine if we need to put a boundary in place or have a difficult conversation about what's acceptable in the relationship for us. When your children's other parent is a narcissist, you might live in some fear that one of your kids might become one. What I can tell you is this. Children who are loved well and have their needs met, their feelings validated, and their voices heard, especially children who are allowed to be children and not have to take on the responsibility of meeting a dysfunctional parent's needs, those kids stand a pretty good chance of growing up to be emotionally fit adults. Also, while pathological narcissism is rarely cured, covert narcissistic traits are symptomatic of attachment trauma and can be effectively arrested as part of the healing process. Lastly, research has repeatedly shown our emotional development is typically shaped by a relationship. One emotionally connected parent teacher, aunt, uncle, grandparent can out-influence an emotionally disconnected parent. Children know the difference. So you want to talk some more about this? I have a feeling you do. Hit me up on the community page on Facebook with any questions you may have. See you soon. Hey, thank you for joining us. Continue the self-care conversation with us on Instagram at at Podcast and in the Selfie Podcast community group on Facebook. You can also visit our website to check out the resources we've talked about in each episode at SelfiePodcast.com. Make sure to subscribe to Selfie on iTunes so you can catch up with us next week. Take care. Take care.